Hey, I'm Matt Hudgens, and he's Dave Mulvaney, and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how you doing today, buddy? Great, Matt. How are you today? I am doing great. Very excited. Very excited. This is episode 158, and we got a good buddy of mine, Mr. Brett Fellows, who's coming here to join us. So I'll give you a brief uh, bio on Brett, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into asking him some questions. So uh, Brett is from Boston, right? From Boston. And then that's crazy. Ended up now he's in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, investment advisory business for uh, business owners, retirement and tax planning, exit planning for business owners. Uh, you started out your career as an entrepreneur in the golf business. I looked it up. It said uh, Sagamore Golf. So you were like yep. a public golf facility up there in Boston. And started that back in 94. So you were telling me 97 when Tiger Woods, you know, yeah. get it off. Yeah, of yeah. Um, so, but now your main business is helping other business owners with retirement and exit planning type stuff yes. at, at Oak Capital Advisors in Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. And it all ties together, Matt. It, it all ties together. Your, your, mm -hmm. your, your entrepreneurial journey. Well, mm -hmm. well, how about that? How did you know, or when did you know you'd be an entrepreneur? Yeah. So, uh, I started in the golf industry, like you said, Matt, in 95, uh, just through family members, the only reason I got it. Um, and we had uh, one daily fee course, 20 minutes outside of Boston. So in terms of proximity, it was very close. Um, and in 1996 of October, there's a guy by the name of Tiger Woods who turned professional. Yeah. You may have heard of him and golf as an industry absolutely skyrocketed. And we were frankly at the right place at the right time. Um, and so we would, we would be open from 5 a.m. as the first tea time and the bar would close at 11 and just <laughs> continue every nine minutes. You get four people um, all cash in the day and it was fantastic. And then from there, we uh, merged uh, with another golf course and New Hampshire. And then eventually we built a facility, a 50 person grass tee, indoor, outdoor driving range. Wow. Um, and at our height, I think we probably had 150 employees or so, most of them, maybe 25 full-time, the rest seasonal. Um, yeah. And we were, our Boston golf course was the busiest golf course North of Boston. So really, yeah, we would do about 48,000 rounds in a six month season. That is huge. Yeah, that's so absolutely. We, it was huge. all gung ho. The problem. Um, so you fast forward to 2002, 2003, the market had gone down tremendously. I think it lost about 50%. And so all the baby boomers started to retire okay. in the early 2000s and real estate was going up. Now, I was part of the operating company. I had ownership in the operating company, but we didn't own the land. Okay. And so the trusts that own land were getting offers, you know, millions uh -huh. of dollars per acre. And here we are writing a little uh, rent check, uh, right, which right, didn't quite. Right. So, and in fairness to all the trustees that, you know, is, is a couple generations. So it was pretty diluted. A lot of them just wanted to sell. Yeah. And yeah. this is when we started to have children and weather and all of these things you might hear of if you talk to people from the North. Um, our, we were afraid we were going to lose the Boston golf course and I was going to have to move to one of our facilities up north and or we were going to buy another one. But I just had had 10 years um, kind of burnt out and just really needed a change. And so I didn't want to leave Boston. Um, I didn't want to go further north. And my wife and I said, you know what? We've never really done anything in our life. We grew up in Boston, went to school in Boston. We lived where we grew up. Um, we said, let's just take it chance and do something different worst case we'll come back 
and just continue on. And so I was able to um, sell my shares in the operating company. And that led me down to, we, forgive me, we picked Charleston to move. Um, and I had a finance background and I had some people skills from the golf industry. So I said, I want to, and I never made a paycheck from anybody. I, you know, I always paid myself. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to continue to work for myself. And I figured well, everybody's going to retire to Dave's neighborhood in Jacksonville or Charleston. We visited Jacksonville and Charleston. Sorry, Dave, but you know, if you look the two, it was kind of a no brainer for us. So we loved Charleston. Um, <laughs> And so we chose here and people were going to retire. And so I said, well, I'm going to get into financial planning. Um, and that eventually matriculated into get target marketing more towards or a niche um, of a business owner. And because that has frankly been my experience. Right. And you know, this is the profitability MD. What was pretty interesting too about the operating company was a lot of it was owned by two different generations of the same family. Sure, sure. And this was a huge profitable business. Um, but, and so it couldn't figure out how to pull, the older generation couldn't figure out how to pull the equity out to the, and have the, or the younger generation buy it. Right. And the money was there to do it, but they couldn't agree on how to do it. And well, so that know, always stuck with me to say like, and working with as an advisory practice, you know, how can a business owner work all these years. And then perhaps if 80% of their net worth is in the business, how do they pull out that equity and use that for retirement? Right. And so that's what brings me here today. That's exactly right. Trying So same, same kind of concept where how can the business owner use the business to generate wealth? That's really what you're saying. And they were having trouble exiting the wealth. One thing that, 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 that the golf business you just described is really talking about, we talked about uh, the four pillars. So you have a business that generates cash flow. And that cash flow is used to support your lifestyle, but also to buy real estate. In, in this example, that real estate was worth more than the operating business itself. That's which, correct. by the way, that happened exactly to, to one of my clients, a uh, uh, barbecue uh, uh, restaurant here in Atlanta. And they go to sell it. They got three uh, locations. Ended up, you know, oh, we're going to sell the business. The real estate was worth more than the yeah. business. So. Yeah. You know, McDonald's, they don't sell hamburgers. They really use, sell the hamburgers to pay the rent. Yeah. Right. And in essence, uh, your operating company of your golf was paying rent for the land, yeah. but the real cash was when they. Yeah. And that's I, frankly why in full disclosure, why we were so profitable is because we weren't paying a huge mortgage on right. real estate. Right. So we were able to cash that in, but it bit us on the backside when right. the land might go away. So I'm and a by the way, it's now 2021. The golf course is still there. Oh, okay. That's a whole different story. What were you going to say, Dave? So, well, I've got a question. Okay. I know a lot of people from Boston and you don't sound like any of them. Okay. How is that even possible? It's like, you can't, you can't take Boston out of a person. You said you were born and raised in Boston. Yeah. If Dave, if you grow up in Boston and you really listen to how your friends speak, if you have half a brain, you're going to learn how not to speak like that. <laughs> Give me a couple of beers that. and it will come out. That's great. I'm glad, glad we don't have any followers that I know of in Boston. Boston, right. Other than perhaps you. So, but uh, what do you think? So as you transition into, into a new business around the financial industry, what do you think was um, like when you were starting out, what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome coming out of the, the 
golf business, which is all customer service, like people coming to you. And then all of a sudden having to transition probably where you had to go out and actually get clients to, to, to to work with you. What was the, what was the biggest challenge you think you overcame there? Um, Well, it was twofold, I think. And I never should have done, I never should have been in the financial advisory. They never should have let me in the door because I, for all the reasons you just said, Dave, the only reason I made it was because of money it was because I had money from the buyout from the previous business. And so I had a few years buffer. You had a runway, you had a runway, had a runway. to get the business going. And okay. so if I didn't have that, uh, I would not have made it. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, for multiple reasons. And the second part of that um, was my wife. My wife is a CPA and she was, for, or I'm fortunate enough, even with our girls, uh, you know, I tried it for a few years. We knew we were going to start to run out of the money and we frankly switched roles. Uh, she went back and she became a CFO of a corporation here. And I picked up more of the, you know, picking up the girls from school, cooking sure. dinner, more of a lifestyle practice, which frankly gave me more runway uh, because I wasn't working 40, 60 hours a week. I was maybe only working 25 hours a week, but that took a lot of pressure off um, me having to produce because Dave, I would not have made it. The, the, the hurdle was so big in this space, especially when Matt and I started, it was very transactional. Um, I didn't know a soul. So it's network-based, relationship-based. So it was really tough. That's interesting. Because, I mean, you work in 25 hours a week. That's almost three times what Matt works now. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great point. (laughs) Hey, But I will say, you become so successful now, the roles have reversed back, right? Your wife has now... Yeah, so... uh, in 2019, my youngest started driving. And so all of a sudden I had about 20 hours back on my time. And so we flipped back, if you will. So I came back or started to work all the time. I said, okay, now I really have to gear this up. Um, and that's when I really marketed towards the business owner and got very serious about that. Colleen stopped working um, and she is actually working for us now. Um, as doing all of our books and some para planning work for us, um, which has been fantastic. And since that, since I started to put that effort back into the business, um, you know, it's been up 50% a year just by the attention. Right. So I've been very, very fortunate. So I, I know, I noticed your business actually follows two of the pillars of what we call two of the pillars. So, um, and I kind of gave you a little overview of what the pillars are and Matt talked about them earlier. So of course, maximizing business value, which is, we talk about building a business as a tool to build wealth and then growing and preserving wealth. Um, And then, so tell me about how, okay, so we're not, you know, this is just what Matt and I talk about. What made you focus on those two pillars? What, What was, I mean, I'm just curious, what made yeah. focus go to those two? Companies? I realized, uh, frankly, early on how amazingly profitable this business was. I just had to figure out a way, or I just had to last long enough to stay in it. Um, because I knew, frankly, when you get to a certain point, the expenses are almost fixed. Uh, might be 30% of revenue at the most, and then, it, then even it could stop at a certain amount. Um, and then from there, it is highly, highly profitable. So that I guess leads me to the next 
capacity ceiling is I can only be do so much because we sell our time. Um, at what point you know, do I necessarily make the team bigger? If I go from a solopreneur to a small ensemble, do I necessarily keep the same profit margins? Not really. Um, right, so right. that's the moving forward. That will be my biggest hurdle is how, how do I consider the practice and keep it as profitable as I can? And what does that look like long-term? Do in our world, we can sell it um, or we could possibly align with another firm that's bigger and they would actually purchase our, our business. Um, so those are the two main routes, routes to go. Or run it forever into the ground. Or run it forever, <laughs> that's right. Which is probably, you know, you're, you're exit planning guy, right? So you talk about that all the time, that X number of businesses don't ever end up selling, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a big number. I, I, I think it's over 80 something, 83%. 86%. Yeah, it's yep. a big number that they can't. I mean, we talk about this all the time, why they can't sell because they're the business most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Matt and I stress the fact that, okay, you've got to siphon money off this business legally, of course, um, and utilize that to acquire other assets that will produce not just cash flow, but tremendous tax benefits. One of the reasons that, um, I'm, you know, real estate is such a big, a big piece of what I believe that people should have outside of their business because, um, well, I, I had a business that crashed and burned. And if it wasn't for real estate, I would have been done. So Do you guys think that's changed post COVID, especially commercial real estate? Oh, wow. So, you know, here's the thing. I'll tell you that uh, right now, residential uh, commercial apartment buildings are the lowest, the most compressed cap capitalization rate of in history that won't last forever, of course. Um, so, you know, why is it, why are apartments great is because you can get, cap rates uh, really low, but you can borrow at three and a half percent and inflation is five and a half percent. Yeah. So you're, you're killing the market with that. However, what's really, really bad in real estate right now um, are certain parts of the country. And so knowing where to invest is, is very important, but also um, certain parts of the uh, like hospitality, you couldn't, there's not a bank on the planet that will give you a loan yeah. on a hotel right now. Yeah. So <laughs> even though hotels are bad, um, and multi-purpose is, is bad, there's always something good. Real estate yeah. has always been a, a hedge. It, it, I don't think anybody should have all their eggs in the real estate basket and then sure. not have any um, investments because real estate can haunt people. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things though, too, though, would be the first thing you probably should do is, is your own office building, right? I mean, yeah, I was saying, we're looking yeah. in September buying this space. Yeah. So there you go. It's exact same. Yeah. And, and that's usually what we recommend is you, you have a business and then why not own your own uh, place, right? Yeah. Because now you'll get the depreciation benefits, the tax benefits of owning instead of renting, yeah. Uh, as well as the appreciation, right? You're using the. Now and you're also, like. Also, I think puts takes pressure off having to sell your business for as high as a number. You know, we have some hair salons or heating and air companies that own the buildings, right? But they're also getting rent. Yes. And then even if they can't sell the business for the price they want, will they at least know that they're getting the rent from the building? No, you're exactly right. It goes back to like talking about the, the barbecue place that I was talking about. Uh, I've got dentists. We always talk about the dentists and yeah. I suggest the dentists buy their practice, their office space, and then they could sell the practice itself, but hold on to the real estate and collect rent from the, 
from the new dentist. So that's exactly what you're talking about. And that's what we mean about the four pillars, right? The business itself. And then that real estate, it could appreciate that you could sell like your golf example, or it could be that you keep it and that provides cash flow, which, you know, yeah. Dave always talks about a cash producing entity, which adds to your exit strategy, right? And so what's the fourth one? So the fourth one would be wealth accumulation account. So cash, cash flowing assets. So those are both okay. kind of hand in hand. So I, and I liken it to if your um, income from cash flowing assets, different kinds, could be stocks, could be dividends on stocks. Yeah. If your income is such be, at a point where you can live very comfortably, comfortably, you don't care necessarily how big the number is on the balance sheet. You know, some people, most people want to have, you know, I want to have X million in my bank account when I retire. Well, that's great. But the problem is if it's in your bank account, that's stupid because it's, it's making the smallest amount of right. money. Um, but if you, if you take that and you put it into passive investments like real estate that can be owned in an LLC and you can be 100% um, passive, but because the money comes in uh, through, uh, through a K-1 on an LLC, you also get the depreciation, and I'm not giving tax advice. Mm -hmm. This thing, we're not giving tax advice, not giving uh, investment advice. Um, so, uh, but that being said, there there are tremendous tax benefits. But with real estate, when you stop buying, then that goes away. So it's really the the, the final pillar is this wealth accumulation that produces income regardless of your age, because everything that it, pillar three is about is building this nest egg of retirement funds. And you can't get them at, at them until you're 59 and a half. Yeah. But it, let's say you, I mean, some people start a business. I was 22 when I started my first business and I've been self-employed since. If I have to wait till I'm 59 and a half, I, you, you could accumulate millions and millions of dollars um, in a fund, but you can't retire yet because you're too young. So that's what the fourth pillar is really build a, build an income, income streams. Well, so yeah, it's a place to put the money, right? So, so yes. But what if, what if I reverse that? What if I go the opposite? What, what do you guys think about not necessarily putting monies into retirement building, but since you guys are entrepreneurs, you know, betting on yourself instead of yeah. betting on the market, well, you can make 20% as opposed to 8%. Well, and that's great. Well, that's literally why the four pillars, right? So, so it's diversification as a key, right? So, yeah. so go back to your business itself and in business, you just have a job where it pays just for your lifestyle. Yeah. No, you want the business to really thrive. And that's what we talked about the coaching to, you know, to take it to the next level because you want those other pillars, right? So if you buy the real estate, like the office building that you're in, Brett, now you'd have that. Okay. And then if you have a retirement plan, you're putting money away, pre-tax, tax benefits, building nest egg. And then you have this wealth accumulation account, which is basically after-tax money that you're putting over there. So if your business does hit a hiccup, you have other sources that you can draw the money from, right? Mm -hmm. You can, you can, you don't want to borrow from your retirement, but you could refinance yeah. the, the office yeah. building, right? You could borrow on margin from your investment account, right? So what we see happen, or what I've the reason I came up with the four pillars was. Real estate guys are notorious for that. They put all the money in the next deal and yeah. eventually the deal crashes. So not just real estate guys, but if you put all your money just back in your own business, eventually your own business, well, Dave's an example, your own business will hit a hiccup. We have mm -hmm. recessions every seven years, right? So mm -hmm. you need those other pillars or, or diversification mm -hmm. to have other assets that you could borrow against or, or provide cash flow to carry you through the day because, because every business is going to hit a recessionary period or a pullback period. Yeah. So I understand the concept of 
put it all back in my business. That's what I know best. That's what, that's why I get the highest return. Yeah. But you also need to diversify. Gotcha. We can't put everything in, in all in one basket, which is why we have the, the four yeah. pillars. Dave, I don't know the full story, but what was the biggest thing you learned from what you went through? Well, um, first of all, um, I was miserable in my business. So I think on a subconscious level, um, well, I will tell you this, open your own mail. That's the biggest thing I learned because I had a bookkeeper embezzle half a million from us. Oh, so wow. The first thing I would recommend is open your own mail. I don't care how big your company is, but, um, but so what I learned was, is really, um, was that I was following my own advice all the way along. I had assets and when the business, um, really when the business went bankrupt, I had other businesses. I still have the real estate investments and I had, I had a lot of cash outside of my business. If everything was in my business, I, I would have been, I would have lost everything. Wow. Good for and you. So, wow. Um, but, and then literally the next year, so when my business collapsed, it didn't affect my personal credit um, because I was really responsible personally. And um, I literally went out and bought 11 houses, uh, investment houses in, in, in a few months. And so I was back in, focusing on something else, but that's why I, I believe so passionately that people, if all your money is in, in, in your business, yeah, it'll die with your business. Ask yeah. Sears. I mean, Sears, they went broke. That's the right. year they went broke, they had $4.5 billion in profit that year. Not, I mean, they did $36 billion the year they went broke. How do you go broke on four? I did an entire, we did a podcast on that. Yeah, we did. How do you yeah. go broke on four and a half billion dollars? But the, the point being, it doesn't matter the size of your business. A business has a way of consuming every single dollar you leave. Every in. resource, every resource every you'll everything let it. You leave in it. So you've got to, you got to put systems in place to move some of that money into other things. And now the, the business can be, you can run the profits from, um, you can create an LLC and run profits from one LLC to another. That's yep. fine. Um, but you've got to find a way to get money out of the business. So over time you have these other things. And if you, if you don't love the business anymore, you could sell it. it yep. It's self-managing. Cause you, I mean, you're, you're in Dan Sullivan's uh, yep. coaching. So that's, you know, Dan Sullivan teaches that create a self-managing business. I love that concept. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, but that's great. So what do you think is, uh, I mean, like you're still young. I mean, if your daughter is just driving, that's still young. What do you think? I mean, what's your, do you think about an exit strategy at all in your business or uh, how, how about every other minute of the day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think ultimately I'm going to go more the route. Uh, just I'm a softy. So I have trouble 80, 20, the, the, 80% of my business um, that only accounts for 20% of the revenue, I'm going to have a hard time cutting them off. Um, and there's a point where, you know, there's some, they keep the lights on. They were with me since I started. So I think eventually I am going to have advisors underneath me that will always be able to service them. Um, you know, like a baseball diamond. If I'm at second base, I'll have an advisor on first and third and the home base will be a uh, someone to help facilitate the three of us always working forward right. and then that would be in the perfect world that would be the succession plan is that those two as they got more and more 
um, involved in the business and time and knowing the clients that that would be the, uh, the exit plan. Now, whether that's a, a daughter or whether that's a, uh, someone unbeknownst to me yet, yeah, I don't know, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out all the angles of that. So that's ultimately, I think, is for this business is right now is to build it up enough. And that looks like 200 clients, um, three advisors, and then work on a five-year type of exit plan. You know, what's awesome about what you just said, you ha- you're very specific on what it looks like. And right. I, I mean, Matt and I talk about this, you know, most people don't think about what their business looks like when it's done. Yeah. And, and when it's done, it means it's self-managing. It's created, yeah. it, it runs by itself. And you just boom, like that. You already yeah. know what it is because you've thought about it. That's a, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great uh, thought. So um, what would be standing in your way, you think, of getting there? Of the 200, um, 200. You're looking at them. <laughs> oh, me? You? No, no, me, 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 me. Oh, okay. I'm my Sorry. own worst Sorry. enemy. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah, I got you. I got you. My own self. You know, I still have, I don't know if, who knows what our minds do to ourselves, but I spend a lot of time on professional growth and personal growth. Um, and I've done a lot of work with the last years. And I think that's part and parcel why we have grown so much the last few years. Oh, I definitely, um, think, I, I definitely think, you, I mean, just in the last it, three years, you've grown so much and, yeah. and you're focusing on your niche and, and there's we a always lot talk of imposter about, syndrome, yeah. um, a lot of trying to sell just, but I didn't, cause I was worried about making the money, but when you get to a point where you don't have to worry about the money, then it really transitions. Yeah. Um, so I would say, Dave, ultimately I, it's me. And then the second part is, is to find a players. To join the team. To join the team. Yeah. I like that. And, and you're, you're, you're working on the four pillars. You didn't, you know, you didn't even know you were the four pillars before you got on our call, but yeah, you've got the business that's producing excess cash flow. You're talking about possibly buying your own real estate. I'm sure you got a retirement plan. Yeah. And I'm sure you have like a wealth accumulation, an investment account after tax investment yeah. account. So you, and you've I don't know if I always too want to stay in the advisory. Um, I'd like to keep it perhaps self-operating organization, but then maybe right. do something different um, too. So I, we'll see when that time comes. And it could still, it could be a spinoff of uh, financial planning. Maybe it's business valuations or some, just add a different right. facet to what we do. Um, I, well, at the end of the day, I am more of a business owner than a financial planner. I would say that. That's right. good. I think I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And that but can would, be the fourth pillar is, is literally buying other business. Buying another business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, buying yeah. more businesses because you're good at owning them instead of necessarily running them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Let's structure and put them together. All right. What's a, what's a good book you've read recently? Uh, um, I, every year, this is a little dated, but every year I always go back to E-Myth. I don't know why, uh, but that one's always rung true to me. I like the traction books. Uh, right. Yeah, I love the idea of the implementer, uh, and Matt is the what's the other one, Matt? Let's see, you're the you're the yeah, visionary. visionary. Yeah. Wh- which one are you? You're gotta be. Which one are you? Um, I said five years ago, I would have said I was the implementer, but yeah. now I definitely think I'm the visionary. Yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. so. So I would say those. 
So E-Myth, that's, it's funny. I've read that so many times. That's, the problem is, is I'm not an implementer and E-Myth is all about implementing. About implementing, yep. 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 That's what I mean about the A players. I need to find somebody to implement that. Right. And having had so many employees in the golf business to now having 20 or however many years I've been doing this with just, you know, a solopreneur, it's hard to go back to managing people. Yeah. So I don't want to, I really want to be intentional on who that person is and why. Well, you mentioned do the daughters, you have two daughters that are in college. Have they expressed an interest or is no. that? Oh, okay. No. That's just your own kind of, well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. I can appreciate that. I got two daughters in college. Yeah, we'll so. see. We'll see. We'll the, uh, the, all right. So, you know, one of the other things you talk about is, is that you've got your target market. We talk about your business owners. You've got your, uh, you know, million dollar message, you know, where you help, you know, financial planning, retirement planning, tax planning for, for business owners. And then what is your uh, offer? I saw on your website, you've got a free uh, financial financial retirement readiness assessment. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Essentially, I, this is a very commoditized space. So before anybody pays me anything, um, I'm looking for a long-term relationship. I really want to make sure it's a fit. I really want to do my due diligence. Um, so we put them through a pretty arduous process of working with us. And then the retirement readiness assessment is maybe a seven page. Well, it's a 30,000 view of their readiness and we'll make some recommendations. And then from there, if they don't want to work with us, that's a thousand percent. Okay. They take it. Uh, I want them to take it. I want them to bring it to another advisor, see what the other advisor says. I want them to, or use it to, implement themselves. Um, but I like to have them something tangible before they decide to work on it with us. And it's right. a lot of work. It's probably um, 10 to 15 hours worth of work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's real stuff. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's very tangible. Yeah. So, so they can get that at your oakcapitaladvisor.com and in the Oak upper, upper right hand corner, yep. Uh, yep. upper right hand corner, it said uh, free financial roadmap or, or something yep. like that. Right. Click on well, it. The so goal is to exit. I love it. Exit your business on your terms. I love that. Um, and so I know we're coming to the end of the show. One quick question. What is, if you wouldn't mind, what's fee only financial planning? If that can be done in a short, what does that mean? Yeah. So that's a great question. Uh, fee only for us is a stated fee. So we will agree with a client and our engagement standards of what that fee will be. Um, and for us, it's one of two ways. It's either a certain percentage of the asset under management and or it's a monthly subscription fee. Um, and oftentimes it's a mixture of the two. But at the end of the day, there will be a, a stated fee for each um, client. And that's it. That's the only money we make. There are no commissions or agreements with custodians, that sort of thing, which was very, very predominant in our industry for years. Right, right. A fiduciary. Tell them you're fiduciary, right? Yeah, as a fiduciary. That's correct. It's a big yeah. word. Big word in our in our industry. Yes. Yeah. Fiduciary duty to put your interests, I mean, their interest ahead of your own. That's correct. Which is different than the brokerage relationships. Yeah. Well, that was good. This was this was good exploring. I appreciate you taking the time. To well, thank you guys. Come on and visit with us. And we got to learn a little bit about your golf background then uh, and you still play golf now i mean i know it's only january february so have you played much this year i try i try once a week i'll try I just pretend i want to be matt hudgens <laughs> then you oh, so- play as much as you want wherever you want and if you're that's matt- right 
That's right, Dave. Some of us have to work, though. So. Yeah, yeah, some people, you know, I, I somebody's got to do it. I don't know, you know, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Well, this was good stuff. Thanks for being a uh, host. Thank you. Uh, guest, I mean, episode 158 with Brett Fellows, Oak Capital Advisors. And uh, thanks a lot. We're going to stop you. recording and uh, hang All on. Right. If you can uh, reach us at uh, Matt at ProfitabilityMD or David ProfitabilityMD.com and find us anywhere that uh, podcasts are played. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks.